this is Alex Granado, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. This week at Education NC, we are talking about all things books, and so today I have Representative Craig Horn, he's a Republican representing Union County, to talk about uh, one of the books that was very influential on him. First, Craig, welcome, thanks for being here. Thank you, Alex, for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this discussion, very much so. And tell our listeners, what book are we talking about today? We're talking about a book entitled Death at an Early Age, a critique of the Boston public school system by Jonathan Cazole. I read this book well over 30 years ago. As a matter of fact, I was just thinking about it, that it was in 1970 or 71. I'd recently been divorced. I was living in an apartment in Hillcrest Heights, Maryland. Hillcrest Heights is a um, is in Prince George's County, the largest minority county in the nation, I'm given to understand. What drew me to the book? Probably the title, Death at an Early Age. Maybe I thought it was a thriller of some kind, but it had an incredible and obviously lasting impression because we're talking about actually 40 years ago, 1970, 71, that I read this book, and I still think about it today, and I think about it frequently. And uh, it's kind of self-evident in the title, but give me a little snapshot of what the book's about. It's, it's about the failure of the Boston public school system, and not necessarily Boston, I think. it's a It was a failure of a school system to meet the needs of poor inner-city black children. Uh, I was trying to find out, was there another word that I wanted to use? No, there were no Hispanic kids. We're not talking about white kids. We're talking about poor black kids in the inner city of Boston. Now, remember, at the time I said I lived in Hillcrest Heights. Hillcrest Heights is a suburb of Washington, D.C., and the Washington, D.C. school system was much in the news even back then for its poor performance and the problems that Washington, D.C. was having with their kids. I said I was working for Oscar Mayer. I was a street salesman. I was on the street every day, and much of it in southeast Washington, D.C. And if you know anything about southeast Washington, people that look like me didn't frequent southeast Washington, D.C. But I was there every day, calling on mom-and-pop stores, little distributors, late at night, resetting deli cases. I saw the real deal, day in and day out. Poor kids coming in there, middle of the day, not in school, hustling, hustling all kinds of things. I saw police breaking down doors, arresting people. I participated in bill collecting because I was a sales guy and I didn't get paid until the bill was paid. So, yeah, I participated in some of the bill collecting. I saw some pretty shady deals going on all the time. And I heard every day about the Washington, D.C. public school system. I experienced some of the Washington, D.C. public school system when I tried to do business with them. Found out that uh, we don't do business with people like you. Really? What are people like me? I'm selling hot dogs and bologna. What do you mean we don't do business with people like you? I truly didn't understand. I just got out of the military. I, this was, I was not, not really aware of some of the social problems that we, unfortunately, today take. It's just part of life. I had not grown up in a big city. I grew up in a very rural, small town. Most of my neighbors and most of the people that I lived around were black or Hispanic and not white. 
I just spent eight years in the military, most of which was overseas. I didn't fit in. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to be in Anacostia at 11 o'clock at night on a Tuesday. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be selling hot dogs and bolognese to little mom and pop stores that were sometimes nothing more than a, a room in somebody's house. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to be uh, schlepping stuff around uh, in my car that I probably should have had a refrigerated truck. I didn't know a lot of that stuff. Uh, but I had an insatiable desire to learn, not just about what I was doing, but that book, Death at an Early Age. I was seeing that happening on the streets of D.C. I reflected on my own life growing up in a very rural, poor community. And most of the kids I went to school with uh, dropped out at 16 or earlier because they could make 100 bucks a week working for John Deere, whereas the teachers were making, I don't know, 70 bucks a week. I remember in the eighth grade, I was at football practice. We were just finishing football practice, and we were coming off the field. I was talking to the coach, and one of the kids that, that had already dropped out of school and was working for John Deere came over to show the coach his paycheck. And you should have seen the look on the coach's face. This kid that dropped out of school at 16 was making more money than, than a football coach who also taught math in, in, the, in the school, in the elementary school, that where I went. So I'm continuing to deal with teachers not being paid well. Here I am 40 years later. But I, it really resonated with me that death at an early age, just the title alone, to think that that's, that's, that's really happening. That's the real deal. It's happening right now, right here in North Carolina. It's happening in Union County. It's happening in Charlotte-Mecklenburg. It's happening in Wake. It's happening all over, and not just in North Carolina. Well, I internalize this stuff. So I asked myself and I asked others, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? That book, that book, how Jonathan Casol put those words together, for me to remember it this clearly 40 years later, that's an incredible compliment and talent that is Jonathan Zoll, incredible talent, incredible ability. I long for such an ability, but it's a message for all of us to address. What are we going to do about that? Are we continuing to uh, have death at an early age? Yeah, for some we are. Uh, here in North Carolina, we have, we're the, one of the fastest growing states in the nation. But we're only growing in six SMSAs. Only six areas are growing. The rest of them are not even staying steady. They're declining. What are we supposed to do with those kids? I refuse to throw them away, but what are we going to do about it? How do we attract and retain high-quality teachers for those kids? How do we provide them the tools they're going to need? And then... As importantly, how do we keep them there so we raise the bar for the next group? Or is this a downhill spiral and, gee, I'm sorry, that's nothing I can do about it. No, I, no, 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 no. There's something I can do about it. I may not know what it is yet, but there's something I can do about it.
So uh, most of our listeners are probably familiar with you, but you are very involved with education in the General Assembly. It's a topic that you pay a lot of attention to. Uh, surely you've read other books on education over the years. <laughs> Why did this one in particular stay with you? Uh, probably two reasons. One, I could relate to it because I was seeing it every day on the streets of D.C. Uh, two, the talent of the writer. Two, to clearly bring the message home, to be able to put the emotion into the book that I took out. The book moved me. It, I said to myself, what am I going to do about it? Because I refused to say it's somebody else's problem. No, I at that point in my life I had two children. They were in elementary school. What am I going to do to ensure that they don't have this experience? I need customers to grow up and, and buy lots of hot dogs and bologna. I don't want to see the kind of stuff go on that I'm seeing every day on the streets of D.C. And not just on the streets of D.C., some out in the rural areas as well where Southern Maryland, Parts of Virginia that I covered, some of the suburbs, Washington, D.C., particularly there in Prince George's County, it's a tough place. I mean, it's a tough place. Put on your iron pants, get out there. Here was a, a writer. I'd never heard his name before. Had no idea who he was. Here was a writer that moved me. Wow. How many of us have actually, have truly, truly, been moved by something they've read. We're fascinated by it, we're entertained by it, we're educated by it, but how many times are we actually moved by it? To me, that's the highest compliment I can pay any writer or any speaker. You have moved me to action. Not just, oh, that's great, oh, i give you a nice round of applause, maybe I'll give you a standing ovation, all that. But how many times have I left a speaker or put down a book and say, I'm going to do something about this. And I had no idea. I had no idea whatsoever. Uh, here I am 40 years later and in a position to actually do something about it. I'm a very fortunate person to have this opportunity. But, uh, and I take it very seriously. It's a heavy responsibility. And I know that I can't do it myself. So I've got to be able to be a Jonathan Cazole, so to speak, in getting moving other people. I've got to take his message, that message that I got 40 years ago, and put it into action. The same action he put it into by driving people to do something, not just talk about it. Now, we all worry about it. Gee, that's too bad. I really feel badly. And not just throw 20 bucks and say, here, good luck. No, no. Put some skin in the game. Let's go. Again, as I say, it's, I think it's one of the highest compliments I can pay a writer. Uh, but it's also something for all of us to, to think about is, are those kinds of messages? And what are we going to do about it? You mentioned earlier that what you saw in D.C., what is talked about in this book, you can see in North Carolina today. You can see in places in Union County. Tell me a little bit about 
how you see that? What form does it take? In, it takes several forms. I'll, I'll go backwards on, on your question. It takes several forms. One is, uh, is it takes a form of despair. There's, um, I spent some years in the military, as I mentioned, and I use a phrase frequently when I speak to veterans. And the phrase is, war is a terrible thing, but it's not the most terrible thing. The most terrible thing is to be without hope. And when I go out to some of our most rural and poor areas of North Carolina, and I see kids with a smile on their face, but I look in their eyes and I don't see a whole lot of hope for the future. It's sort of, that's the way it is. I remember as a kid being told by an adult because I aspired to something, the, I was told or I was asked, who do you think you are? I see these kids being asked that question, and sometimes by adults, sometimes by other kids, certainly by bullies. Who do you think you are? Well, I'm going to tell you who I think you are. I think you're terrific. I think you're opportunity on two feet. I need. I feel it incumbent on each one of us, each and every person, particularly adult in our state, to carry that message forward. But unfortunately, I don't see hope. Because even those kids get there, go to school, graduate, now what? There's not a job for them. What are they going to do? They know there's not a job for them. So where's the motivation to do well in school? The only motivation to do well in school is get the heck out of there. Well, that's not, that's not good for North Carolina because those areas of our state that are not growing in fact, are decreasing, will continue to decrease. But there will always be people there, and what am I going to do with those kids? Throw them away? I refuse, no. Our Constitution's very clear about that. But to not see hope in the face of those kids, and that was one of the, well, that's one of the ways I see it in North Carolina. Other ways I see it in North Carolina is that one of the facts of, of human beings is like people congregate. It's just human nature. If you speak Spanish, you tend to live in an area where everybody else speaks Spanish. If, you, if you're black, you tend to live in an area where everybody else is black. If you're from Russia, you tend to live in an area where all the Russians that come here live. It's like people congregate. There's nothing I can do about that. Matter of fact, that's human nature, and it's not, it shouldn't be deleterious. But it is. Because we have that, in today's society, that those people concept those people. I've seen it here in, in Union County. It's not just those people. I once heard a public official talk about the Waxhaw crowd or the Marvin crowd. And you could tell by their voice there was a certain disdain. I've also heard from the Marvin crowd those hayseeds in eastern Union County. And I'm thinking, Really? Really? We're just a county of a hundred counties in our state, and we're having that attitude? And if I know, we all know, that's not unique to Union County. That's happening all over the place. Okay, what am I going to do? What are we going to do to break that down? And that was the message out of that book as well, is we've predetermined the future. 
We predetermine it by what we'll what we offer. We predetermine it by by one's mobility. We predetermine so many things, and and those determinations are made on on race, creed, geography, color of hair, whatever you want to call it. We've made a lot of predeterminations. One of the things I love about education, particularly elementary education, is see these kids that haven't yet learned that they're not supposed to like that person. You hear what I just said? They haven't learned it. In other words, that is a learned attribute, if you want to call it an attribute. It's a learned learned thing. And that's one of the points I think that Kazol was trying to make in his book is that we've made up our mind that poor kids can't learn. Now, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I was a poor kid. I grew up in a house without running water. We had a pump outside and an outhouse. Now, I'm not suggesting I've been terribly successful, but I haven't exactly been a flop in life. So I learned, well, is it because I was white that I learned? Or because I was had the opportunity? Or maybe it's neither one of those. Maybe maybe I'm just a person that went out there and that, and somehow had it inside of me, whatever it is. Is that unique to me because I'm white or because I have, well, these days, gray hair or had black hair or whatever hair? Is it because I lived here or didn't live there? No, there's actually no reason whatsoever. People are people. We can all learn. Now, a lot of it has to do with motivation. And when, when all you see around you is an atmosphere, all you feel is that atmosphere of, of no hope or atmosphere of, of, of dependence on someone else or, or atmosphere of this, that, or the other, that's what you've learned. And that's, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. When we talk about the uh, epidemic of welfare, and I'll call it an epidemic because it's pervasive. It goes from one generation to the, to the next. That's Well, that's just the way we do things around here. No. No, I reject that. I reject that. Jonathan Consol pointed that out very clearly in the book. Just reject it. I, I sound like a Pollyanna. I recognize it's not nearly as easy as it looks. There's lots of challenges, but most of the challenges, the biggest part of the challenges is between our ears. And I think Jonathan Cazole in his book and that book and others he's written have pointed that out very clearly. The challenges between our ears. I tell people all the time that we all love to complain about politics and politicians. Now, I do too, and I be one, so to speak. But you want to know what the problem is? Look in the mirror. We had a primary election in Charlotte not too many months ago with an 8% turnout. We had one of the most contentious elections in state history in Alabama, 40% turnout. Less than half, less than half participated. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a participatory system we have here. Our, the United States created, what was that, 1793, thereabouts, a participatory form of government, first in in history, as I as I believe, probably not. I don't believe in originality, but a unique system of government, participatory system. We're not doing our job. 
Most of us aren't participating. Shame on us. Really, shame on us. I think Kazol points that kind of thing out in his books. I've been told more than once, put on your iron pants and get out there. It ain't easy. No, it's, no it ain't. But it's not impossible. Just got to get at it. I'm fortunate enough, as you mentioned and, and I mentioned, I'm in a position now where I can have some impact. So I need to get on with it and have that impact. I need to hear from folks, students, teachers, taxpayers, farmers, folks down east, as we like to say in North Carolina, and folks in high country. I need to hear from them all on what are their ideas. What are they going to do? Not just what do they want me to do. What are they going to do? I don't hear much of that. I, I hear lots of demands. I demand you do. I demand. My question generally is, and I try to ask it quietly and politely, so what are you going to do about it? Because it takes us all. And it does. It does. We have, And it takes the naysayers as well. And the naysayers need to learn how to be naysayers. They need to learn the art of disagreement. They need to learn the other side so that they can help not only understand, but they can help create solutions. Uh, we're in the midst here in North Carolina of a, an attempt to reconfigure how we fund K-12 education. What well, begets the question, is there something wrong with the way we're doing it now? Well, I don't know. Is there? I hear a lot of complaints about it. So if I hear a lot of complaints about it, somebody must say, well, this is wrong. Okay, what is it that's wrong? We've, we're now, we're trying to find that. What's the better idea? We're trying to find that. I think we all agree that this state has changed immeasurably in the last 35 years. And it's been 35 years since we created the system of funding education that we currently use. The state has changed a lot in 35 years. Our economy is different. Our population is different. Our demographics are different. Our, everything about our state really has changed in 35 years. So perhaps so need be our systems. You, tend, you fund the things that are important. Okay, are we doing that? Are we doing it appropriately? That begets two questions. One, the system, and two, the amount. Now... As a legislator, as an appropriations chair, I am given a finite amount of money to appropriate. So it's so adequacy, as much as it's as it is important, is not within my realm of responsibility. I can ask for more, I can complain about it, I can demand, if you will, but my job is to take a certain amount of money, and in the case of North Carolina, it's a little over $13 billion, and out of that money, that's a lot of money, fund public education, that's K-12, community colleges, university system, and all the things that wrap around that. Okay, how do I do that? Well, I listen to a lot of people. I read a lot of books, and I get in it, get at it, knowing full well that I am an a an inadequate servant. But that doesn't matter. We we are we're human, so we're inadequate. 
but let's get on with it. Fear of failure should never be a deterrent. Uh, we see that conveyed in some of these books like Death at an Early Age and others that fear of failure has been a deterrent. Uh, it is, continues to be a deterrent, particularly in education, because with failure comes ridicule, admonitions, anger. But if you're afraid of failure, you will never progress. You will be stuck forever in that mediocrity of, of doing nothing. Shame on us. Well, Craig, thank you so much for talking with us. I sure did a lot of talking, and I'm sorry for that. But I'm. this is really important stuff for every single person in North Carolina. It's important for our economy. It's important for the future of our state. It's important for, to the future of our nation. I don't want to look in the eyes of those kids ever again and not see hope. We've been talking with Representative Craig Horn. He is a Republican representing Union County, and you've been listening to Ed Talk. I'm Alex Granado, senior reporter. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.